You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, November 15th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Barely have our notes in order because things have shifted around a lot in the last hour. We are, of course, going to lead with the news out of Columbia, South Carolina. Will Muschamp out as Gamecocks head coach, and we've got obviously plenty to talk about there. Also, maybe some other rumors about coaches who oh, could be on a hot seat that I would give you the old-fashioned not-so-fast friend on. We're going to talk about Michigan getting completely and totally body bagged by Wisconsin and potentially what could happen in the future there. We've also got a whole lot to talk about from what they promised you was going to be a very slow week. Those slow weekends, by the way, just a little word to the wise, slow weekends in sports, college football in particular, never live up to their billing. Something crazy is always going to happen. Case in point, what we're about to talk about in about 45 seconds. So we got Florida to talk about. We got Notre Dame. Miami had a really good win yesterday. Oregon probably had the most significant off the radar win of any team, I think that matters in the national landscape yesterday. We've got two best bets coming on the show tonight. And I want to also tell you, those of you who have been emailing me all day, so what I did was I kind of hit pause on booking the Zoom consultations. We've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. I can't remember how many. I've lost count now. I've had a lot of consultations with you guys who want to potentially get in sports media, start your own YouTube channel, whatever the case was. Well, we got kind of backlogged. So I said, all right, because I'm having to tell people, hit me back later in the week. So I hit pause about Thursday. I hit pause and we've cleared the queue. So starting right this second, benefit of seeing the live show, email me joshpate706 at gmail.com or drop in the DMs on Twitter at LateKickJosh. The queue is clear. First come, first serve, hop in. So with that in mind, let us, oh boy, where else do we start? Let let us just jump into this and we're going to go wherever the show takes us tonight. Settle in, buckle up. There's a lot going on. News out of Columbia, South Carolina, just in the last hour or so as we were getting ready to do the show. uh, We had gotten heads up, Colin and I, earlier in the day, this was probably coming. Smoke all morning following South Carolina's 59-42 loss to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. And here we go. Will Muschamp is out as head coach at South Carolina. Uh, John Whittle, uh, J.C. Sherbert, all the guys over at the Big Spur have had you up to date. If you're a member over there, every second of this whole deal. Uh, This whole, it seems like a soap opera over the last couple of weeks because someone knows something here and someone knows something there. Well, there's no more guesses. There's no more whispers. So those guys have had you up to date to this point. I cannot stress enough, if you are a South Carolina Gamecocks fan, or if you're just kind of morbidly curious about this thing from the outside, make sure you check out thebigspur.com. They will have you fully informed over there the minute something tangible and credible, and I can't stress those words enough, tangible and credible happens. So here's the details that you need to know. Mike Bobo is going to be the interim head coach here for Carolina. I think they play Missouri Saturday. So we'll deal with that as it comes. Will Muschamp, 28-30 and 30 overall. 17 and 22 record overall in SEC play over the course of five seasons. And you could really summarize this a whole lot of ways. Why did it happen? Was it overdue? Should they have waited? What is the one question we've asked about Carolina? I I don't know how many times I've asked it at this point, but it was, what's the identity of the program? Never good to be asking five years in. 
And it was supposed to be defense, if nothing else. I mean, you certainly wanted to put the foot on the gas a little harder offensively, but at least, you know, Will Muschamp, defense, at least you're going to be known for that, right? No, nah, man. Right now, as we sit here in 2020, they are 12th out of 14 teams in the SEC in total defense. So, yes, it was probably time to make a change. Now, remember, a couple of keys, a couple of factors to keep in mind here. There's no more speculation about whether he will or won't be gone. Muschamp's out. So now, what is South Carolina? What has Ray Tanner done over there? What have the powers that be and the brokers behind the scenes, what have they put into motion for Carolina? Let's talk about this. Remember, towards the beginning of the year, when there were a lot of folks out there who were of the opinion that there's no way anyone will ever be fired in a COVID year, whatever that is. We've only had one of them. In a COVID year, no one will be fired. And I told you, I think it's true for most people. But someone's going to go rogue. Some program's going to go rogue, and here's what the factors have to be for a program to go rogue. And by rogue, I mean fire their head coach when everyone else is standing pat. What's going to have to happen is exactly what happened here. Now, first, the benefit of doing this is obvious. If you're Carolina and you're not exactly a Tier 1 program, you kind of bump yourself right to the front of a line you're normally never at the front of when it comes to maybe feeling out potential suitors because you normally have to wait behind someone like USC or someone like Texas. Well, doesn't look like that's going to be the case this time around. So maybe you get access to candidates that you wouldn't have access to. But here's what's important to note. It's important to note they didn't fully go rogue. It's not like this stuff was decided in a knee-jerk fashion. It's very important. I can't overstate this enough. There were people who matter behind the scenes at Carolina, and I mean in terms of their wallet. There were people who matter who wanted this done before this year. Okay, So there were a lot of folks who entered 2020, COVID or not, who were already resigned to the idea that Muschamp is not the long-term answer here. So that was already the default setting. They didn't come into 2020 saying, that's our guy. And then watch a couple of losses pile up in, again, a COVID year and all of a sudden say, oh, never mind, forget him. That's not the way this happened. I don't care what it appears to be on the outside. Folks in and around Carolina, no different. So this is not a knee-jerk reaction. So if that's how they want to run the program there, I'm fine. I have no problem with that. I would have a problem if you were fully backing him and then you let this particular set of circumstances completely 180 degrees change your opinion. Can't stress it enough. That's not what happened here. So... If it's not a knee-jerk reaction and folks got tired of him selling, it's time for us to rebuild in year five. You can't sell a rebuild in year five. Month five, maybe, yeah, but not year five. Same question as always is what we arrive back at. If you've watched Late Kick for any amount of time, you know I just ask the same old question. Anytime you want to talk hot seat, anytime people at Carolina, up to and including this point, had said, Muschamp's not the guy for us. I said, okay, you're yelling at me. I Take it down about three notches. It's not my program. It's your program. Here's all I would want to know. If I were a Carolina fan right now, here's all I would want to know. Do we have a definitively better option ready to take this job? You can't have one just as good. You can't even have one a little bit better because of what it takes to actually buy a staff out and then potentially buy another staff out and then potentially bring them in. They got to be definitively better to justify all that. Who is it out there? I'm not making the hire, so this is rhetorical. I'm asking you guys, and I'm asking Ray Tanner, and I don't necessarily know that he's going to return my text today or answer on the air, but who is it? Who's definitively better? Sounds like the right wallets are open. I will say that I don't think this move would have been made if there weren't assurances from the right people. I, You know, Colin, I one day hope to be in a position where people out there are making, how how many, seven, eight, eight eight-figure moves, and they need to come to me and say, Josh, are we okay to make this eight-figure move? And, and it takes my green check mark. I hope to one day be in that position. 
but what should they be looking for? Because a lot of you, as soon as I went on the Big Spur today, and I said, hey, we're going to be talking about this at the top of the hour, and I asked, in fact, I asked you guys, hey, what are three words, three words or less, that you could use to describe how you feel right now? And a lot of you guys responded, well, basically in a predictable manner, but a lot of you were responding to varying degrees that you were relieved, and now you want to know what's next. And so what should they look for? You can put your hot board of candidates out there. I'm sure they're already doing that all over the place. I would want an offensive mind. I would want a relentless recruiter and someone who knows the territory, or if not someone who is already familiar with the territory, someone who understands how to fill a staff full of guys who are total warriors in the southeastern region. And C, I would really love to have the uh uh-oh factor. Here's what the uh uh-oh factor is. It's not internal. The uh uh-oh factor is when you announce your head coach, does it make the biggest opposition you have in your division think, "Uh uh-oh, you know most recently who did that? You should know. You just played him 24 hours ago. When Ole Miss hired Lane Kiffin, no one predicted Ole Miss to win a national title, but you want to know what they did in Auburn and Baton Rouge and Tuscaloosa, College Station, Starkville? You want to know what they did? They said, "Uh uh-oh. At the very least, Ole Miss is higher got an uh uh-oh collectively out of the SEC West because nobody wants to play Lane Kiffin. You guys found out why the hard way last night. And so how does South Carolina go about finding their own uh uh-oh candidate? Is it Billy Napier? Is it probably a lot of hurdles to clear here, but would it be Hugh Freeze? Is it someone maybe a little bit off the radar that used to be a big name that's kind of moved to the background in the college football ether that is ready to reemerge. You may think I'm talking about Bob Stoops, and I'm not. But the point being, regardless of who it is, can you fill those three factors for me? Can you fill those three compartments? All I want is an offensive mind. I want someone who is a relentless recruiter, and I just want to make Kirby Smart or Dan Mullen or Jeremy Pruitt say, uh-oh, that's where we stand at South Carolina. And I'm sure a lot more will be coming out in the coming days. Now, South Carolina, like we just said, made a move tonight, and it stemmed, well, not totally, but largely from what was inexcusable last night on the field. So you want to talk about something that was really inexcusable. How about Wisconsin splattering Michigan all over Ann Arbor last night? 49 to 11, and let me stress, the game was not even that close. 49 to 11 is just the merciful final score on the board there. Sometimes, I've let you guys behind the curtain a fair amount from my youth, and I've talked about the fact that one of my hobbies, uh, to, to varying degrees at various portions of my life, has been train hopping. So sometimes you'll find out if you're train hopping back in the day, of course, a long, long time ago, you find out that sometimes you got to run, sometimes you got to hide really quick. And sometimes with the way that rail lines are kind of dug into the earth, you got to climb big hills to get yourself out of view. And sometimes you have to climb hills of ballast, and that's the rocks that are on the side of railroads. And it's hard to climb a hill of ballast. And if it starts to give way, you don't just stop. Okay, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta roll, 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 and then you gotta dig your foot into the ground. Eventually, you can stop yourself from sliding down the hill, but it's not just one movement, and so it can be a pain. But here's the thing: you can stop yourself from sliding down a hill of ballast. You just gotta find a way to dig your foot in the ground. I've never been skydiving, but I would imagine if you're free falling, short of pulling the parachute, maybe you don't have one. Short of being able to pull a parachute, it's got to be a lot harder to slow yourself down when you're just free falling. That is what Michigan football feels like right now. And if you didn't feel it before last night, you certainly feel it now. 
Many padlock stats in this game, many of them outside of just the final score there. 341 to 47, that is the total rushing yardage. I, I struggled to even open my mouth fully, as you could hear there, even on the podcast, to utter that sentence. 341 to 47. That's how badly Michigan was outrushed. But hey, they had better rushing totals than they did against Indiana a week prior. Wisconsin had what I can only describe as a padlock play in this game. This wasn't on CBS, so Colin and I couldn't take the footage. Well, they, we couldn't take the footage and monetize the show still. But if you were watching this game, think about when it was 21 to nothing and Wisconsin's driving again, and you're already kind of in stunned disbelief, and the crowd that would have been in the big house was in stunned disbelief at home, and it's um, about 10 yards to go to the end zone, and Wisconsin just snowplows Michigan out of the way. It looked like what it would look like if you've ever been at the park and you've had a lot of really mouthy dudes who play seven-on-seven, and they're mouthy because they know no one can hit them. If you were to take 11 of those guys and put them on a football field simultaneously and then run a play at them, it would look a lot like what Michigan looked like last night trying to keep Wisconsin out of the end zone. Brutal. Brutal. Scholarship football players at the University of Michigan. Brutal. That was the padlock play. If I could just show you that play, you don't need to know the score or anything else. You would have known everything you need to know about this game. Wisconsin had five different ball carriers with at least 30 yards rushing last night. That was the game. I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about with the game. Like, hats off to Wisconsin. This is certainly a legitimate contender in the Big Ten, and we will have a lot more time to talk about Wisconsin. They're going to play Northwestern Saturday, and the Badgers open as a seven-point favorite. But as for Jim Harbaugh, it's a lot of you were all, all over the page, all in, in the Twitter DMs, email last night, and a lot of Michigan folks view it as a foregone conclusion that Jim Harbaugh is going to be out this year or at the very worst after this year. I do not believe that. I still don't believe that. I don't think that's founded in anything tangible. Now, let me slow down. Let me tell you what I didn't just say. You did not hear me say, I agree with that mentality of keeping him around no matter what, because I agree with you guys. If you're looking at your program, if you're a Michigan fan, you know, if we're looking together and we're saying, man, it's just not happening here. We don't think Jim Harbaugh is the answer. The, you know, the climb back just appears to be insurmountable. It's the free fall. You're not even climbing. You're just free falling. You can't dig your foot into the ground when you're free falling. You can't get any traction. That's what Wisconsin, or that's what uh, Michigan football rather feels like right now. If you feel that way, and I were a Michigan fan, I'd be right there with you. I just want to remind you, you guys know this better than anyone if you follow this program. The folks who were ultimately tasked with making this decision do not value football equal to that of other major programs in your own conference, let alone America. And like Bruce Hornsby told you, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. It's a really good song. Some things will never change. So short of a mutual separation by Jim Harbaugh and the University of Michigan at the end of this season, as we sit here right now, I don't think a change is going to be made. I, um, I would be happy to be proven wrong there. I don't think a change is going to be initiated by Michigan. I'll say that. So you could forget, let me just put it this way now, as for some of you who thought a change is coming you know, by next week, that's not happening. Mich- point blank, categorically false, that's not happening. Michigan's not making a move in the season. And I would be happy for Colin to pull up this footage, and I would play it on loop if they do, because they will certainly have proven not only me, but a lot of folks I know who are very close to that program wrong. Maybe staff changes come. I told you, I thought one of the maybe aces in his back pocket he has is 
he could make moves defensively. You know, he came and he brought Josh Gaddis in as his OC. Maybe he could make a move with Don Brown and bring in a DC. I don't know if that helps at this point. Maybe folks in decision-making positions, maybe they just possess a lot more perspective on this. Maybe they are of the opinion and have been all year. We made the decision in August, even if we play, this is, as we said, with South Carolina, a COVID year. We, even if we go winless, are not making a move. We have already decided that. Let's all sign our name to a piece of paper. Let's lock it in a box. Let's let's throw it in the middle of the ocean. Like, it's done. It's over. That could be the case here. Having a great, I just want to say this, having a great football program and exhibiting proper values, those don't have to be mutually exclusive. And right now, the attitude, it feels like, that a lot of folks feel Michigan has just accepted is, well, in order to run things the Michigan way, we're not going to be able to contend. I don't accept that. I don't care how it has been done in the past even. I would never accept that. I'm not a Michigan fan, and I don't accept it. So I certainly wouldn't accept it if I were among you guys. But again, ultimately, I, I don't know how much power you have here right now. You never know how much power a vocal fan base has had on a situation, but I, I don't I don't think the torch and pitchfork crowd is going to get it done here for Michigan. Other Week 11 takeaways, and boy, there were a lot of them. As I said, it, it looked like, according to some people, it was going to be a slow week. Ended up being anything but that. Oh, boy. Okay. I was just looking at some other things here. There's a lot of when – when we do the live show, you know, I'll give you a little behind the scenes here. So Colin and I are the only two people who are cleared to be in our building. It's been that way since March, I guess. And normally – we would have a staff of at least one more person, if not more, in an ideal world that would be monitoring the YouTube chat right now. They would be in my ear with added production cues, call them a line producer. Well, we don't have that right now. And so it's just Colin and I. And Colin's got to have, I think he's got four, maybe five arms right now. So he's got to work multiple streams, got to work audio, got to all those fancy little lower thirds and videos and elements. He's got to bring the B-roll in and the lower thirds in. So I say all that to say this. If news is breaking during the show, sometimes we don't know. So I'm trying to trying to monitor. I got one, two, three, four, five. I got seven windows up simultaneously. So, you know, sometimes if I don't get to your chat immediately, that's why. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
So I wanted to talk about some Week 11 takeaways, and I wanted to start with a game that I think was off a lot of radars, because I think a lot of you had already maybe gone out to eat or maybe tuned out for the day. Oregon ended up beating Washington State last night. 43-29 to was the final. And I really believe this was the most significant off-the-radar result yesterday. If you're ever thinking in terms of uh, your national top 15, top 10 picture, maybe your fringe playoff conversation, maybe potential teams who could see a surge late in the year. Well, Oregon's in that conversation. Obviously, they just started their season, but they're in that conversation. They were down 19-7. to If you look at this final score and you don't know anything about the game, you may not guess that. They were favored by, I think, 10 and a half. And so they were minus three turnovers in this contest. We value turnovers at around four and three quarter points per play. So if you just do the simple math there, that means we think a 10 and a half point favorite should lose the game outright if they have a minus three turnover margin. Not only did they end up winning, they ended up covering. Tyler, um, well, actually, I was talking about someone else. Um, I was talking to a dude named Tyler today, and we were talking about the pronunciation of the Oregon quarterback's last name, and then Colin and I had a little debate about it too. Shuck, just ignore the spelling. Mr. Shuck was 21 of 30 for 312 yards, four touchdowns last night. And again, in come-from-behind fashion in far less than ideal weather conditions in Pullman, Oregon had 353 yards in the second half alone. This was a, it was a legitimate come-from-behind and then cruise-past-someone type performance. It was, to be honest with you, a style of play that I don't know that a lot of people thought Oregon would be capable of early in the year. Keep in mind, this is not only a new quarterback there, but it's a new offensive coordinator in Joe Moorhead. It's an entirely reworked offensive line, and they were put in a situation on the road at a place that's not been kind to Oregon, to say the very least, over the last number of years, and they end up just just cruising past Washington State. So despite all those issues, they win, they cover, for those of you interested in that. What could this mean? Again, like I said, it's off the radar. I don't think a lot of people are taking away a lot from this game. Here's what I took away from it. Do you remember earlier in the year when, uh, well, let's use Ole Miss for both of these comparisons. You had Florida play Ole Miss. They won. Their defense looked bad, but they won. Alabama played Ole Miss. Oh, they looked bad defensively, but they still won. A lot of people had their doubts about those teams respectfully after that game. Well, Oregon had defensive issues last night. They got it done. Offense showed life that, again, I don't think a lot of people, maybe myself included, thought they'd possess early in the year, and they got it done. You can walk away from this game one of two ways. You can either say, ugh, I mean, great, they won, but really you had to come from behind against Washington State, and I'm supposed to take you seriously as a playoff contender? Well, were we not saying the same thing about Florida in week one? Excuse me, there's no we here. I bought Florida after week one. Some people who were doubting Florida said, they, they're not going to be a serious contender. They, they couldn't even stop Ole Miss. Well, in retrospect, you realize it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, is it? Alabama has had some struggles defensively early in the year and still found ways to win. Florida, Ohio State has not lit the world on fire defensively. My point is, be careful just eliminating a lot of these teams from conversation when you've only seen them scratch the surface of what their overall potential will be this year, and they just have some defensive issues. If you can score and you got a solid coaching staff, and you've got the actual pieces, the, the talent that's necessary, then you'll see some defensive progression from Oregon this year. So my point is, will we look back on this thing a month from now? That's the kind of perspective you're going to need and say, well, there was, a, there was a struggle win for Oregon, and it was just part of an overall decent year. You know, one or two losses, still good enough to win the Pac-12, but not a playoff contender. Or will it be a game you look back on and you say, around halftime, 
Now, that Washington State game, that's where you can kind of pinpoint this role that Oregon's gotten on since then. And maybe we're sitting a month from now and we're definitely talking about them in the playoff conversation saying, hey, man, remember, we didn't think a Pac-12 team was ever going to even ever even going to sniff the playoff. But now with the way Oregon's looked ever since halftime of that Washington State game, I'm just saying that's the way it could happen. So keep an eye on Oregon. Florida is there. They're already in the conversation. 63-35, to 35, they beat Arkansas. I was asking myself, if I told Arkansas Friday, you're not going to be able to take Sam Pittman down there, you're going to be without your coach, and you're going to still, we're going to give you 35 points. Would you have taken that? Would you have taken your chances with 35 points? I think the answer is yes. No Kyle Pitts in this game. It's, it's a game where Florida's coming off Georgia. So, you know, in the classical sense, it's the old do down, which is really overused. And it's a methodology that some of you use for betting that's about 15 years too late. It's all baked into the number, friends. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If, you. if you're aware of it, odds makers are aware of it. But keep using that. Just like you keep using so-and-so's 8-3 and three on grass at games before 3.30 p.m. since 1992. Like that stuff matters. But I digress. 63-35 to 35 is the total or is the final score here. And the point I want to make is all that stuff's true. Kyle Pitts was out. It was a game coming off a Georgia win that, that they had desperately wanted for a number of years now. When you get to a certain tier... There aren't many of them in that top tier, but you've seen Alabama do this in the past. You've seen Clemson, Ohio State, and that's about as long as the list is, able to do this in the past. When you get to the top tier, a lot of these external factors, let down, look ahead, emotionally drained, like all that stuff, it kind of doesn't matter anymore. Because once you get above that certain threshold, the freeze point, if you will, into the top tier, you just render all that stuff irrelevant. And there were a lot of people, I guarantee you, last night, that ended up giving Arkansas a look, especially Arkansas plus the points, and they told themselves, Kyle Pitts out, letdown spot coming off that Georgia game. Man, Arkansas, Arkansas's exceeded expectation this year. Felipe Franks going home to the swamp. We gave it a lot of run last week. We didn't take Arkansas plus the points, but we entertained the idea. What happening? What happening? Really never in doubt here. And so good on Florida. Defensively, again, if you've watched this team, defensively, they have limitations. But like I said with Oregon, until you can find me a team that's going to be in the playoff out there that's going to put an elite defense on the field, because I haven't seen one yet this year, until you find one, that means Florida can win a national championship. They can win the SEC. If they don't win the SEC, they can still get in the playoff. And they can put themselves in position if they bring whatever their A game is and do enough defensively, situationally, you know, perform well in the red zone, they can win. They can do it. They absolutely can. Notre Dame 45, Boston College 31. I had upset texts in the iJosh yesterday morning from some unknown people who will remain nameless unless they want to name themselves. I was kind of worried about this game for Notre Dame, just judging by years past and judging by the quote I gave you on Thursday's show, which went something like this, you take no game for granted when you're limited at quarterback. Because of that mentality, I was worried about them here. They were 13.5-point favorite, and they went on the road, and they ended up winning by about that margin. But in reality, they were in control of this game most of the way. They were very balanced. If you believe balance is found in statistics, Notre Dame 283 yards passing, 278 yards rushing yesterday. Ian Book, the zero in the interception column, again, the most important stat here, but he was 20 of 27 for 283, three touchdowns, really good day. They were not handing the game away. Now, they did fumble and lose three fumbles. So minus one turnovers on the road week after that Clemson game. 
you'll take the win. Obviously, you'll take the win. You know what they feel like to me? Because they had 31 at the half in a week where you would expect maybe them not to click offensively. They had 31 at the half, and Boston College grabbed an early lead, and then they bypassed them, and it was comfortable at the half. They feel like a team in ascension mode. You know, they feel like a team kind of like Florida's felt a little bit this year, and all the great teams end up having this in common. They keep getting better. And you end up looking week over week, and then maybe at the end of the year, a month over month, and you say, this team's significantly better than they were a month ago. If you're going to be a contender, you have to, by default, by the very nature of what the other contenders are doing, you've got to exhibit those characteristics. Notre Dame's exhibiting those characteristics. And I know a lot of people just have this stoic picture of what Notre Dame football is in their head. It doesn't ever change. You know, the, the personnel change, uh, the names on the back of the jerseys change, but you just have defined what they're capable of and what their limitations are. I don't believe in that. I believe every team is unique under that team, and every year is unique under that year. Notre Dame, their, their next four weeks, they are off this week. They go to North Carolina, Syracuse at home, at Wake Forest. Certainly they'll be favored in all those games. They have yet to drop one. So they are bound for, in all likelihood, another ACC championship. Well, they've never been in one. Another appearance against Clemson, in all likelihood, in the ACC title game. Going to be fun to watch. Going to be fun to watch. Miami, speaking of the ACC, I told you last week, I think I said it on air, I certainly said it on the podcast, our numbers, our model, told us to take Miami. I was not going to touch them until it got to plus three, and it never got to plus three. It stayed at plus two. Miami ends up winning the game 25-24. I told you our model had Miami winning by one. So in a way, our model could not have sniffed out this game any more effectively. But it never got to three, so we never took it. This was a pretty under-the-radar good win for Miami yesterday. They were missing a lot. They, were, they almost didn't play this game, and that they would have had in common with a lot of other teams across the country. Virginia Tech sort of controlled this thing, and then Miami scores the final 12. They got two touchdowns towards the end, and I was reading over on Inside the U earlier today, which is our uh, Miami branch of the 247sports.com network, and David Lake, he made a really good point over on Inside the U. He said, um, you know, Miami's won the past three games, so again, it's been kind of off the radar. It's been a little quiet, but they've won their last three games by a combined nine points, so they're winning the close games, and they're winning games, period. What's the trend there? They have not turned the ball over. No turnovers in those three games. That's it. I mean, you look at this game last year against Virginia Tech. It's a perfect microcosm. They lost it close last year because of those reasons. Well, they won it this year because of those reasons. They are 7-1, and are the Miami Hurricanes. 7-1. and A lot of talk out there before the season. Will they be above or below 500? Well, they're 7-1. and They got Georgia Tech this week. They're favored by around 20, somewhere between 18 and 20, depending on where you look. Then they're at Wake Forest. And then they got North Carolina to end the year. There's a chance here. I mean, there's a chance where they get up around nine or ten wins. Uh, they also could lose all three of those games. It's very close. Uh, they're a very close, low margin for error team right now. But as long as they control the football, as is the case with most teams, they give themselves a shot. So obviously, a lot of stuff going on here. I, I want to remind you again, uh, those of you who keep kind of tuning in at various points here since we're live, remember... If you want the very latest on any kind of coaching search, I learned this a long time ago. When I was down in Columbus, I learned a long time ago. I, I was given a five-night-a-week college football show on local TV down in Columbus, ironically by a South Carolina grab. And so they asked, what kind of guests would you have on 
And they were picturing names and faces you always see on national TV or at the very least regional TV like SEC Network. And that's great. Like those guys and girls, they're great. But I, all I did was ever book guests that worked for 24-7 Sports. I get like Travis Ryer from Bama Online. I get Sherbert from The Big Spur. Uh, I, I, would, I would get Jake Rowe used to come on the show. Gentry Estes is a name from back in the day that would come on the show. And the reason I did that is because I didn't care if the mass public was aware of the names or not. I wanted the best information on the show. And those guys always brought the best information because they're on the ground. They're not only on the beat, they're on the ground there. And they're tied into recruiting and football. You've got to find folks who are informed at that intersection. And that's why long before I came to work here, I loved hitting up the guys at 24-7 for information and for sourcing anytime I'd need a live guest because they know everything that's going on. So I say all that to say this. When these coaching searches are happening, you can hang out on Twitter and you can wait for one of the big national heads to tweet something out. They'll be right. It'll be well-sourced and it'll be right. But if you want the behind the scenes, if you want the inner workings, if you want to see how it's fully mechanized, these message boards on the individual 24-7 sites, for instance, like the Big Spur with South Carolina, it is gold. It's wonderful. I just kind of voyeuristically peruse. I, I'd love to talk to you guys there first off, so I go back and forth with a lot of you, but I just want to get the temperature. When we do our mood tracker, it's normally because I've just been kind of scanning message board like a little tiger shark just below the surface, just scanning, and I, I want to get the feel. So the feel on the Carolina message board right now, actually there's a wide range of feels, and the context there could be taken many different ways, but the feel right now in terms of who are you going to hire, going a lot of different ways. And always remember um, two, two places that I am never in a rush to be first for. Number one is recruiting predictions, and number two is coaching hires. Because there's a lot of intentional misinformation floated out there. So you got to be careful. Don't allow yourself to be used. And I'm not talking to you now. I'm mainly talking to myself. You can just kind of listen in on this. I, I would rather just wait for it to happen. And so what I'm telling you is we're not going to break that news here. That's where it'll be broken. So that's my word to the wise when it comes to coaching searches. Now, as for the Ramen Noodle Express... What a day this was yesterday. We, we stayed at 500. We're 3-3. Three and three. We're 58, nearly 59% against the spread this year. So we're having a really good year. I thought we deserved so much more yesterday. We are sitting there with SMU. And I know West Virginia was our best bet, and they, they rolled. That was an easy one. But I felt just as good about SMU. And we had them plus 2 and a, uh, yeah, two and a half. So they're up 21-0, just like that, just right out of the gate. And somehow... They figure out a way to score a grand total of three points the rest of the evening. And they ended up losing somehow. And to this very moment in time, I have no clue how they lost. I watched the game, sat right over in our office, and I watched the game. And I, I just shook my head. I didn't even say anything. I just shook my head. So we're, we're dusting ourselves off. The, the white tee has been dusted off, even washed. And we're moving on. We have got two early best bets this week. Already tweeted one of them out. At Late Kick Josh. Imperative that you follow me there because that's sometimes where we get the best number. I already put the first one out, but we've got two. This is a rarity for Sunday night. Northern Illinois, Wednesday night special here. Could have also been a Leonard Skinner song. Plus 14. Northern Illinois, plus 14 at Ball State. That's a Wednesday night game. And here we go. The Big Ten showdown that none of us ever expected. Indiana, undefeated, top 10 Indiana. Not on the hardwood, on the gridiron. At Ohio State Saturday, we are getting an opportunity to lay less than three touchdowns with Ohio State 
against Indiana. On principle alone, that's a play. But when I looked at our model, our model has Ohio State winning by 25 and a half, a little over 25 and a half. So we like Northern Illinois plus 14, and we like Ohio State minus 20 and a half. I'd be very, very surprised if that's not three touchdowns plus by the time they kick it off Saturday. So be smart about it. Again, as I always tell you, don't cherry pick them. Play them all for equal amount or don't play any of them at all. But if you're going to move on Ohio State, I would say do it now. Uh, Another reminder on the back end here, if you've tuned in late, the queue has been cleared. For those of you who want to hit up the uh, one-hour media consultation, so those of you who are interested in sports media, interested in forming your own podcast, YouTube channel, and you just kind of kind of haven't dipped your toe in the water yet, you're thinking about it, you know you're passionate about it, book one with me, joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter at LateKickJosh. First come, first serve. I'm about to dive into my inbox as soon as we get off the air here, and we'll start booking them up for this week. Until Tuesday night, at which point probably half of the sport will have overturned itself. For Director Colin, for Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great week, and God bless. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!